From grain to glass, this show is dedicated to helping you make the best beer possible. So strap in and hold on to your mash tons. We're Homebrew Bound. Welcome to Homebrew Bound. I'm Casey. And I'm Brian. This is the best beer show on the internet. Sure is. You know. Look, I came up with that. You did a thing. Yeah, that was so original. You've never done that one before, Brian. Yeah, it was... Oh man, uh, we have a we have a full studio here. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, I want to uh, give a big shout out to the American Homebrewers Association. They do a lot of support home brewing and home brewers, and now they support us during the AHA. We'll give you discounts at homebrew shops and select tap rooms, as well as give you access to the fantastic Zymergy magazine. Click on the referral link at the bottom of our homepage and join today. I also want to give a big shout out to our patrons, specifically our Black Belt patrons: Andy Thompson, Bjorn Bjornson, Tyler Romanski, Hoppin' Barrel Brewing, Brian Bryanson, Devin Stinson, and Phil Feldman. If you'd like to become a patron, head over to patreon.com slash blindstudios and become a patron today or click on the patron link at the bottom of our homepage at blindstudios.com. While you're there, you can also go ahead and click on the store link at blindstudios.com or go to teespring.com slash store slash blindstudios and check out all of our merch. All righty. There is a bunch of people here at the table. Uh, we have Justin. You guys have heard his voice Hello. before. Yes, I'm back. Yep. Um, and then, uh, if you guys listen to, uh, Hop and Barrel Happy Hour, you'll have heard, uh, Anthony before. Hello. Um, and then newcomer, Jason. Yes. Hey, I got it right! (laughs) (laughs) I totally don't have it written down now. No, it's okay, it's okay. Jeez, Jason Paul is the, uh, our brewer for our Spring Valley, Minnesota location, uh, for Hop and Barrel, for those that don't know. And Anthony, I don't know who you are, what why you're here at all I, I don't know I was, I was told to be here so I was like yeah okay yeah I'll bring down the IQ a little good we need people like you to make the rest of us look no I'm just kidding <laughs> happy to be of service hey, I need all the help I can get yes yeah so do I oh boy all so right. what are we doing today well uh we're, we're doing some listener to mail we're going to talk a little bit about the new BJCP guidelines that aren't quite here but are coming it's very exciting that's very exciting um but Brian What have you been up to beer-related lately? Oh, well, Justin and I have been uh, working on a whole new release schedule for next year, and that's been really fun to to sit and talk about and think about, Um, you know, like working on pretty much, I mean, some of these beers are beers we've done before, but have just wanted to push to like a little bit further commercial-wise from a release standpoint, and then other some of the other ones are just brand new, so we'll have a new beer every month. Uh, is kind of the idea. I, <laughs> Anthony looks happy <laughs> <laughs> when you're when you're uh, when you've had your fill of uh, the Christmas cookie beer. We'll uh, we'll have some others. I don't think it's possible for him to have his fill of that. It, it yeah. may be a while. <laughs> the the joy that it it brings him is. Uh, uh, amazing, and, and by that we mean a, a distribution beer. Not yeah. The taproom will keep yeah. Some- so so a new canned product, uh, which I'm really excited about, because uh, I get to ha- kind of work with the graphic designer on the labels, and that's always a really fun thing for me because I, I do consider myself kind of a creative type, but just don't really have the 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 time or the means to to do what I want to do creatively anymore. But uh, yeah, what about you, man? Ah, uh, not a ton. I've uh, been trying to uh, schedule a brew day for like the last two weeks. Uh, turns out that will be now uh, Christmas Eve is going to be brew day. That's, that uh, sounds very Casey-like, of course. 
<laughs> what? Uh, when was the last time you did brew? No, we don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's uh, I think October. Oh my. So, Dude, it's, it's been a busy year. You were out of yeah. town a bunch and doing some dives in exotic locales. So. Yeah, yeah. So I'm trying uh, to get I'm trying to get back. Uh, I want my fermenters full by the end of 2021, so it doesn't feel like a complete failure. Yeah. So it we'll, it should be noted for any any newcomers to the table that uh, Casey has done the every style challenge. So he has brewed every every style of ale in of ale. the 2015 style guidelines. Dang, that's kept you busy. And and and, well, and I did it in eighty weeks. And rebrewed <laughs> several of them. So yeah, this was a bunch of years ago when I started on this podcast. He was kind of yeah, we were kind of. I've been I've been recovering ever since. Yeah, I think that was like five years ago. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh, that's that's kind of uh, been uh, over at the garage. Shout out to Ellis. Uh, he's been brewing up a storm. I think he has four of his own beers on now, oh, wow. including a black IPA and a um, the garage light. Oh, yeah. got to have that. That's our what corn drive lager down in Spring Valley. Mm-hmm. All right. Um. Yeah. Let's. Uh, I guess let's let's start with the. Uh, I'm, I'm commercial calibrator. There's too many people. You are. There's a lot uh, going on. We've got the <laughs> the Spaten optimator in front of us. This Doppelbach, which I'm a huge fan of. Anything German, yeah. dark. Uh, we do have a couple of listeners that really want us to do um, Pilsner Quell. Pilsner Quell, and I went to three different liquor stores to try to find it. it you know, my Maybe comment not. off mic was that that's got to be a supply chain thing because. Um, you know, that's a pretty ubiquitous beer and pretty easy to find. Uh, so kind of weird that you couldn't find it. Yeah. Three stores. So, yeah. So we're, so we've got the, uh, this green bottle Spaten here. Mm-hmm. I hope that I'm pronouncing it correctly. Spaten. I, I think it's Spaten. Spaten. Well, I guess there's, there's no umlaut over the, over the A. So well, I guarantee we get a message about this, so that's oh, fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your and help. <laughs> right. Uh, that's, I mean, wrong language. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know, but he's, you know, he's a worldly man. Yes. He'll, he'll let us know. Um, yeah. So, aroma is, it's like, almost like burnt caramel. That's exactly what I was going to yeah. say. Agree yes. Yeah. Yes. I think I, that's, 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 that's really all I kind of get. Like, it just kind of yeah. overwhelms. Yeah. Yep. You, get, you get a lot of deep caramel notes on any Doppelbach. It's one of actually my favorite styles. So and I, I, I like that, especially uh, Optimator. It, it, it drinks super smooth, especially for the actual ABV that it's sitting at. Well, that and for the aroma, the, mm-hmm. the flavor versus aroma, there's a little bit of a... A disconnect, but you're hit with a little harder on the nose than you drink it, and it's much smoother, yeah. even with those caramel notes. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the acridness isn't there, but you think it is from the smell. Yeah. So I'm pulling a little bit of a mineral quality, um, which I usually do. I'm really sensitive to that, and uh, that's got to be part of our, I'm guessing, water profile. Um, yeah, could be, likely. yep. Uh, definitely no hop aroma here nope. at all. Uh, good uh, bitterness isn't over the top um, like you might think with a, Kind of a darker beer like this, and then also patented beer light. Patented beer light installed by our patented beer light technician, Devin. Deep, (laughs) deep ruby hue. Uh, Head is not sticking around a bunch, and I'm yeah wondering about that. If that has what that has to do with yeah, it it like it dissipates incredibly quickly, Mm -hmm. and there's like no lacing in the glass. 
Barely, yeah, barely any. I got just a tiny bit, but I don't know. Hmm. Might be uh, an anomaly. What does this say? Seven point nine twenty-two is the Best Buy date. Yeah, but oh, that's a ways off. Interesting. All right. Well, uh, seven point six alcohol by volume. It does say malt liquor on it. Well, here, here's your problem, guys. Oh, well, that's... Right oh. here on the label, it oh, says... Anthony's, it's he's no, going to lay it down. This. Right here on the label, it says it's been in the bottle since 1397. Oh, God. <laughs> that's why. Ah, you're right. Yep. That's, that is the problem. That's leave it to the, leave it to uh. the meat man to you know, have the, the freshness date. All oh, He's all over it. He's the first uh, thing he looked for. Liter- right. Literal man. Man of my own heart. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Well, uh, let's uh, let's dive into these new BJCP guidelines, and we are going to do like a full actual um, episode on them when they come out. Uh, this is more. What are you guys kind of hoping to see? What uh, what styles do you think are going to pop up in there as far as like new things? Uh, do you think there's going to be any styles that will be rolled into or like kind of rolled away, or? Uh, rolled up into existing styles. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't really, aside from hazy, definitely is going to, I'm guessing they figured out how to deal with that. Yep. But this, this one doesn't feel as contentious as like the 2015 one did when, when they, they added all the new IPA categories. Yeah. Cause it, it, I just remember it taking forever for them to come out with 15. Yeah. Um, and, I heard that they're going to add Brute in there as well. Okay. I mean, yeah, no, it bears mentioning. It was a blip. I mean, you know, they added Black IPA after, because, you know, what did we, what do I always say, 2008? You mean or, Cascadian Dark Ale? Cascadian Dark Ale, yeah. <laughs> 2008 or 2009 found me brewing Cascadian Dark Ales, and that's what I called them at the time. And then I, my other brew, homebrew friends referred to me as a beer hipster because I was brewing a Black IPA at the time, which I thought was really funny. Well, I mean, in hindsight, I think it's really funny. But anyway, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, ex- I'm interested and excited to see how how they'll do um, uh, the hazies and some of the other. I'm um, curious about the uh, the pastry stouts. Oh, okay, sure. Um, because do they do they fit like I? So right now you would submit them as specialty stout, right, or under the specialty beer category. Like, do you think they're going to get sequenced or like? Um, kind of carved out into their own category and what would even the definition of that be i, I mean you could kind of look at what's done with the, some of the sweet stouts and the foreign not the foreign export but like the sweet stouts and their different levels there i think there'd be room in some of those categories to kind of add on another you know higher sweeter level of stout is one option okay um i don't know, just a guess yeah. Do you think we're gonna get a um, an American sour uh, sub for the fruited lactose sours? My thought was, yeah, I think there'll be more differentiation in the sour category as a whole. How they do that and what the, I, I think, I think pulling kettle sours into their own thing is important, at least from a commercial perspective. I think would be useful in knowing with some of the labeling fights going on in the industry. I think that would be. <laughs> There, yeah, there are absolutely inconsistent bits of terminology across the board for sours. Sours, as far as like people not really understanding the kettle sour uh, versus your mixed culture. So it does, in fact, you know, Gordon Strong came out with his his you know blurb here, and sour beers did receive major attention. They're expanding that yeah. uh, descriptive terms and glossary across the board. Um, uh. Brett is is not always 
it, it's it, the way Brett beers work is almost always incorrect when people are talking about the way that they work as far as sours go. I like Brad beers better. So. <laughs> Brad's and Chad's. It's, it, it's something, you know, if you put it under a 7A or B, it makes sense to tie to them. You know, whatever. I'm just throwing a number out there. But sure, I'm just sure, saying, sure, sure. Um, I think having them somehow in the same number or affiliated makes sense. But Brett's should definitely be given their own little category as yeah. well. There's I'm, there's. I'm interested to see how they do that because the the idea of minimal st- structural change is, is more appealing just based on, like, you know, how contests are entered or how judges are actually judging or like really retaining. Well, I know I, I didn't know we, I had to look, but we're going to talk about, uh, in listener mail down here in, in a segment in a minute, 12 B. Um, so moving that stuff around is tough when, you know, you've really like spent a lot of time sort of learning the ropes of the BJCP and how it works. And, you know, to, to move that would be really confusing for everybody involved. So, um, also looks like sweet beers received some attention, uh, so we're probably talking about stuff with lactose, I'm guessing. Um, Does it yeah. mention anything about seltzers? Do we get a <laughs> seltzer category now? Uh, <laughs> fucking I hope not. <laughs> In that, I guess I wouldn't be entirely surprised if fruit beers perhaps get a little bit of, um, I don't know if they need expansion, but maybe a little fleshing out. Well, that or even like... I mean, Shandy has been a style on the rise in the past, yeah. like, three, four years. It looks like some of the styles moved from, like, a web-only web provisional to, like, the main guidelines. And so New, Engle- New England IPA was actually renamed Hazy IPA, which makes a hell of a lot more sense because... Well, I mean, it's like the renaming of Cascadian Dark Ale to Black IPA. Exactly. Like, make it less region. Yep. Less region, and it's kind of more what the people are actually calling it now. So it's just more common, common nomenclature. So yeah. it makes sense. They could just call it dishwater beer, and it'd be fine too. <laughs> yeah, <mine>. pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I have opinions. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm very excited about this. Like, yeah, like you were saying, the last time we got it was 2015, and yeah. it seems like just uh, beer is like as an entity has changed a lot in the last six years mm-hmm. and they're they're rushing to get it in 2021 because they they have said it's going to drop before the end of the year so yeah it looks like it'll come out in a word document and then i'm assuming they'll um somebody will update that there's a couple different apps i'm assuming those will get updated at some point so yeah all right well let's dive into some listener mail so the first one here is from tyler um, hi guys, I have some leftover yeast I need to use, and I know how much Casey loves this yeast and hops from the Australian uh, sparkling ale, so I figured I'd throw my, my new recipe out there and see what you think. I know it's all over the place, malt-wise, uh, just seeing what happens. Uh, so, Australian sparkling ale I put in, uh, that's uh, 12B uh, under the BJCP style guidelines. Uh, for those of you who were around and listening when we did the 80 style challenge, um, the Australian Sparkling Ale was one of our favorites out of there. That Pride of Ringwood hops is very unique and a lot of fun to use. Um, yeah, so uh, recipe, it is uh, 54% um, floor malted Maris Otter, 34% uh, Weyermann Bark Munich Malt, Ooh. Uh, 6% Victory, 3% Honey Malt, and 3% Melanoidin Malt. Oh, that's, that's a lot. That, uh, that's... That's a lot of melanoidin. That's a, yeah. a lot of multi. I mean, I'm I'm a fan of layering, but I 
This looks like a little too much layering. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would I think what what you're trying to get out of the the bark Munich you you don't I'd say ditch the melanoidin. I mean the bark is going to is going to bark no pun intended or pun intended. <laughs> it's going to bark at you a little bit more than more than the melanoidin. Yeah. I think that's just you know uh yeah, and, it just, and it's this, a little much. And victory victory is going to give you the color and it's going to give you some of that melanoidin that you're kind of looking for. Honey malt, obviously, or depth, sweetness. Um, but I'm sorry, Jay, you were going to say? No, I was just thinking through the. I, I mean, and I'll admit, I'm not as uh, not as well versed on this style, but it, it seems like you might be pushing the those mid range. Um, yeah, I'll yeah. just read the overall impression A quick. Uh, smooth and balanced, all components merged together with similar uh, intensities. Moderate flavors showcasing Australian ingredients. Large flavor dimension. Very drinkable, suited to a hot climate. Relies on yeast character. I mean, well, let's let's give the rest of the recipe uh, some some hmm. thought here, though. So, what after after that malt bill, we're looking at sixty minutes, uh, an addition of Pride of Ringwood, one ounce, and then flame out one ounce Pride of Ringwood. Uh, we're looking at the WLP, so the Y yeast 009 strain Australian ale. Um, it's I'm uh, sorry, White Labs. Whoops. Yep. Yeah, and it's <laughs> their. Uh, so they're like from the vault series. That, okay. So they, they only release it October to December. Interesting. So that's, we're looking at 68 degrees is what he's thinking of there. Uh, should come in around 6.5 ABV. And then that works up to be 25 IBUs and around 11 SRM. And he's saying hopefully super bready. And yeah, dude, you're going to get there. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get there. I mean, with that much melanoid, though, too, I'd be worried about some of the caramel profile you're going to actually get from that. I mean, it's not an actual crystal caramel malt, but it's it's still a, a it's a it's a cooked malt. I mean, it, you're gonna it's it's melanoid for a reason. That melanoid reaction is going to create some mild caramel sweetness in it um, that you're probably not going to want in that style. Uh, 3% is a little bit much. I mean, even 2%, as they'll recommend with that grain, can give off some caramel notes on it, especially in a lighter beer. So I'd be very careful with that malt. Okay, so I think what you're, are you're, is what you are saying that it won't have as dry of a feel as it probably should, or it, it'll it'll just it'll have some it'll have some caramel sweetness to it. And if you're looking to have a lot more of those bready notes come through, it could overpower it. Um, it, it it is closer. What I've found utilizing it, it it is functions closer to a crystal malt than what you would think. So it's it's just one. Um, if you are trying to kind of get like mimicking uh, some of the mouthfeel uh, characteristics that you would get and some of the sweetness you'd get from like a decoction mash, something like that, um, lighter better. Lighter is much better than what you'd think with that. Even two percent, you're going to get some caramel notes coming through on it. Got it. So less heavy-handed, but if you're so Jason, you are looking at this recipe right now. Mm -hmm. What? Any thoughts on how to how to change this? Add, subtract, multiply, divide. I mean, I, I would honestly probably start with taking the melanoid out completely. Okay. Um, and then you're replacing that three percent with. I would probably replace it with the marisotter. Okay, so just beef beef yep. up the add that three yep. percent to yep. the marisotter. Yep. Beef, beef up your base a little bit there. Um, as, I don't as even know saying. if you have to add anything in because at this point it's half a pound. Like you're not gonna yeah, sure. see that big of a drop in your ABV. Got no, it. no. I mean, if, if you're a stickler like I am and you want to make sure that your numbers are gonna hit, by all means, I, I would <laughs> I, I would put it into your base malt and start from there. Um, but no, that that bark Munich's gonna give you pretty much all the bread notes and all the sweetness and mouthfeel you're gonna want. Would you say getting that base malt to 65, 70% and then play with that other 30, 35 is the way to go? I would 100% say yeah. that, yes. That's yeah. where I'm at with it too. Just to be a little more 
clear on where to go with that direction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Honey malt is an interesting touch too. I guess that yeah, if you want that that bit of sweetness, that's probably the way to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm rather fond of honey malt. It's definitely Same. one to go very light-handed with, but it yep. adds an interesting character to a lot of different styles. Lando, he, uh, Lando he thinks pushed, so, too. Yeah, Lando agrees. He, he pushed his ball under the bookcase. Oh, that's why he's... <laughs> oh, no. He's, like, digging at the floor, and I'm like, is this a new thing he's doing? Oh, no, he's just trying to find ball. Great. Yep. Um, yeah, so the last thing here, uh, Super Bready with uh, enough of the unique Pride of Ringwood flavor. Could be an interesting combo in my mind, but above all, no, no banana. banana. That is, yeah, <laughs> no banana. Oh, punctuated. Yep. Um, on that, yep. On, on that, uh, um, to hop in, maybe a little bit more at that last hop edition, too, wouldn't hurt. If you yeah, really, really try to get the flavor. Really push that. If you, you know, if, if it's such a thing you're trying to seek out in this beer, you know, another 50% to even doubling that last edition may not hurt. You're not right, or even move it into dry hop. Yeah, can't hurt to do a little bit of that. I mean, for this style, I don't know if it's... For the style, it, well, but, yeah. So you'd, you'd be like pushing out a style, but if you're really trying to showcase that hop... No. Even a little flame out edition wouldn't yeah. hurt. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say personally, uh, if you do want to make sure you're getting those bready notes coming through and you do want to exemplify that hop if you're planning on brewing this again this is kind of your first try i would kind of keep it where it's at and then kind of adjust from there because sometimes though those hop aromas flavors can mask some of the subtle nuances that you're going to get with a more simplistic grain bill so that that'd be kind of my advice with it but i mean also too it kind of depends on what you're going for i mean if you if you want that those hops to sing by all means go for it Mm -hmm. yeah point all right we have another one here from andy um, Casey, Brian, and Chaps, first of all, love the show. The commercial calibration segment is awesome. Still waiting for Pilsner or Kel. Damn it, sorry. We'll, um, get, we'll and, get there. And the Halloween episodes were great. Um, he didn't say this. Well, so he was listening live when you took your shirt off, Brian. So. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Man, that was, a, when that, a village person. that was an impromptu costume. Maybe that's why he's... <laughs> I'm not sure I want to know what went down here. Uh, you, you probably don't. Um, I really enjoyed getting involved with the live chat. I've decided uh, I'd like to have a go at brewing in any IPA, um, and I'm a little wary of the issues I may have with this style, particularly with regard to how uh, prone it will be to oxidation during dry hop, cold crash, and packaging. The recipe and method are at the bottom of my email. I have that in just a minute here. Um, I ferment in, pla- uh, in plastic buckets uh, with a spigot uh in a temperature-controlled refrigerator with a standard three-piece bubbler airlock filled with vodka. For the dry hop, I was considering using uh, muslin bags with a ball bearing uh, sterilized attached to the lid of my fermenter with magnets and removing the magnets when required. Hopefully this will avoid oxygen. My first hurdle uh, comes with the cold crash. With me not doing pressure fermentation or having a source of CO2, how can I avoid sucking air in? And does it matter if I do? Second problem comes with packaging. I bottle package and condition. Sorry to dis- disagree with you, Casey, but I find bottling just repetitive enough to be soothing. <laughs> You're wrong. Uh, as, <laughs> uh, as I have neither the space nor funds to start kegging. I normally calculate my priming sugar uh, and dissolve in boiling water before uh, adding to a spare fermenter bucket and siphoning the beer on top. This, I assume, will expose the brew to lots of oxygen, however uh, little splashing I do during the transfer. I'm thinking of attaching my bottling wand to the spigot of my primary fermenter and using carbonation drops in the bottles. I'll lose some uh, some control of the of calculating my carbonation, but hopefully reducing air exposure by not having to transfer twice. 
Um, in conclusion, is it worth doing? Will I end up with a murky brown cardboard slush? Uh, am I better off just brewing less... In- uh, less intensely hop styles. Cheers from the UK. Uh, we'll get into the recipe in a second. Well, do we want to do recipe first or do we want to talk process first? Let's talk about the process. It's All right. fresh. Yep. All right. So let's talk process. Um, I think you're overthinking this a little bit. Very much so. Um, yes, you're you're not going to have shelf stability, but are you really looking for shelf stability at the homebrew level? Like, you're going to drink this immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 100%. It's like, how fast do you actually go through your finished product? I mean, are you truly going to be sitting on this for two, three, four months where you're going to start worrying about oxidation being an issue? I mean, let's be honest, if it's a good, if it's a good hazy IPA, it goes quick. Yeah. I mean, personal experience anyways, it goes pretty fast. So I'm not... No doubt. That's that's something I've never been too worried about. I mean, obviously, you can try to minimize as much oxygen uptake as you can. But after a while, especially on a homebrew level, I mean, you're just kind of beating the bush. Uh, Yeah. And anytime you're doing a transfer, if you don't have a pressurized transfer system, you're going to be picking up oxygen. So it's kind of better to try to minimize those oxidation pickups in other spots. Um, Grain Bill, we'll get to that, but is a very, very good place to start to try to minimize oxidation issues when it comes to your hazy IPAs. Um, And then I would say with your bottling process, like I wouldn't change that up uh, because you know how your system works. You know how to get the carbonation that you want. Like why add in like a potential massive failure point for a beer that you're gonna be like i mean hops are expensive you're gonna be dropping some money on this like i would do it like have it have stick with your system as much as you can um i think the ball bearing thing might be a little overkill too um i I like the idea like you're not Mm -hmm. opening the fermenter however if you have like a very um vigorous fermentation with a high croissant you're gonna be getting those hops wet yeah and well two if the ball bearing is <clears throat> Excuse me. Sitting in the bottom, you know, of of the muslin bag, you're you're gonna you're stretching that bag, I think, and then also kind of compressing. Well, the, where the hops are. So, in your, but your it's, contact it's, it's, time. it's held. It's held to the well. Yeah. So when it drops down, I guess it depends on how how like tightly you pack that bag. Yeah. Um, I'm just but if worried about the contact time of yeah. like what's kind of balled up in it. Like yeah. we we've talked about this a bunch when going through the Janish book of or Janish Janish. Book about how the right, it's, I think <laughs> it's the, Janish. It's probably just Janish. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Janish. Yeah, uh, but wor- worrying about how like how that contact time works, which you know is another reason to kind of do smaller additions more frequently. But again, mm-hmm. we're saying that while we're talking about uh, someone who's worried about oxygen pickup is yeah. Well, one thing might be a little more take a step back and think about this beer style. If if you're approaching this beer style. I think worrying about oxidization is kind of missing the forest from the trees. This style goes fast, not really because of oxygen. Yeah, can't speak right now. Not because <laughs> of the oxygen pickup. There we go. Let's go. Hey. Uh, <laughs> but because the amount and type of hops you're using just don't keep the flavors that you want to have that brightness and that flavor for too. the style. And yeah, maybe yeah. the oxygen is part of why. But this style is never going to be one that is designed to last on shelves or in your refrigerator long. This well, is yeah. Well, and I think so. I think part of the reason he's he's kind of worried about it is because we've had discussions on the show um, when uh, when Katie was was on the show. She brought in or Brian brought in two different space forces. One had been oxidized and one hadn't, and there was a clear like color and flavor difference. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, I understand that. 
Yeah, and that's what oxygen's going to do mm-hmm. to any beer. Um, It'll turn it purple, you'll find. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it will. That was fucked up. Uh, fair enough, fair enough. That was... Pardon the swears if you got the kids in the car. They've oh. heard that word, they just know not to use it, right? Sorry, I just yeah. had like a PTSD of the most traumatic hop and beer. I don't, I don't I think that truly was not go there. That. You brought it up. I know, I know. <laughs> anyway, so as, as horrifying as oxygen can be, I think you're losing the, the the fun out of brewing this and enjoying the style by going to some of these lengths. I think right. stick with your method and make a beer this way. See what you see what turns out and then maybe fine tune. Like if you do think it's more oxygen and it'd be beyond what you'd like, then start looking at these things. But I think there's a little too much for this first step. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then his cold crash question. Any thoughts on that? I guess it's always a risk when you're putting vodka in there. And I mean... Yeah. I mean, um, I, I, I've had a cold crash before on a seven barrel system where we had no means of actually doing any pressure, had pressure or anything on it. And we just literally left the blow off tube outside of your sandy bucket and just crashed it. Never had an issue. If you're well, and if so, <laughs> if, you, if you're using star sand, mm-hmm. like it's probably fine to get a little star sand in there. And you're stars, not gonna, that's you fine. can get a lot, like, you can, honestly. I was going to yeah, say, you can get a lot of star sand in before stars get, I, stuff starts getting I'm wacky. Yeah. Pretty sure I think, oh, this, this might have been a, it was, it was another beer podcast, which shall not be named, did something in it. They said it was almost like a 40% ratio before you even notice it tasted. Holy different. shit. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I'm for science. Going on memory, <laughs> going on memory for a long time ago here. But I don't want to do that kind of science. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that was the Palmer Zanesenf experiment that they Zanesenf, pushed yeah. it. Oh, is yeah. that on oh, uh, uh, Bruce Strong? Yeah, okay. that one stuck with me because I, I I used that for a while, but I did vodka too. And I mean, I always when I when I did vodka, I just assumed like, look, it, it it's really not going to do anything. Maybe up the ABV a little bit, right? But at, you're at such a small amount. I I actually think the vodka is a good idea if that's your concern. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you're not going to taste it. Mm-hmm. Damn. So, right. is it is it worth doing? Is the, before we get to the recipe, um, will I end up with a murky brown cardboard slush? No, you no, won't. You won't. You should. You'll be fine. Uh, unless unless you pick up that fermenter and slosh it around, and then uh, take your oxygen stone and shove it in there. That sounds that like something Rick would do. <laughs> Where's Rick? Anyway, I was, I was waiting so, for Casey to make a joke about, well, that's the style, but <laughs> <laughs> oh I mean, God. it kind of is. So, so this re- this recipe is all in metric, uh, so we'll obviously but just I do the percentages. Did the percentages. You did the percentages. I did the math. Very good. So math go, is fun. Go ahead. All right. Uh, it is fifty six percent crisp extra pale uh, lager malt, fourteen um, percent Simpsons Golden Promise. Uh, 7% uh, Vireman Carapils, 4% Crisp Pale Wheat, uh, 4% Flaked Wheat, um, and 15% Jumbo Oat Flakes. Um, let's see, uh, let's see, Mash, where is his additions? Okay, here we go. Um, he's doing 12, uh, or 5 grams of Magnum at zero. Good, good, clean, bittering hop. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, then it is a thirty-minute whirlpool, uh, 30 whirlpool hop stand with sixty grams of citra, forty grams of mosaic, and twenty grams of brew one. Um, then forty-eight hours after pitching the yeast, first dry hop of thirty grams of citra, fifteen grams mosaic, five grams of brew one. Um, as fermentation slows, raised to twenty-two C for the diastole rest. Then reduce temp for final dry hop. Post-ferment dry hop at 15C is 120 grams citra, 
uh, 60 grams mosaic, 60 grams brew one, dry hop rouse and crash to zero C. Keep hop contact time to less than 72 hours if you can, or if possible. Um, then use Lollamond uh, Verdant IPA. We use that at uh, Hop and Barrel. That's a, that's a newer one for us, too, um, and we, we like it. Mm-hmm. I mean, personally, when it comes down to that, just pick whatever, whatever English-style uh, yeast you're very comfortable with. Any English style yeast is going to get you the performance that you want to have. It's more comes down to uh, how how much you know this yeast strain is actually going to perform and where you know your temperatures need to be at. So I mean that that'd be my recommendation when it comes to the uh, yeast. Yeah. Andy is in the chat, by the way. Oh he, sweet! Uh, he, he just oh, popped cool. in. So uh, he says he uses star sand for cleaning. I don't put it in the airlock because of the foam monster during ferment. That makes sense. That's fair. That's yep. fair. Uh, I mean, if you're somewhat worried about that too, I mean, if you have any isopropyl alcohol laying around you can still mix that even 50 50 and it's going to be plenty in there and it's not going to foam up on you so that's another option if you don't want to throw any vodka in there but i understand most people have vodka laying around the house more than they have iso so that's fair right (laughs) these days um so malt bill i remember uh thinking back to the janish book um wasn't uh one of the things uh to not use oat but use uh was it chip malt Uh, yeah, so um, I'm going to kind of take over on this one just because I... No. Do it. Go I, for it, yeah. I love hazies. Um, probably drink more of them than I should, but, uh, you know, that happens. Um, honestly, if you're truly worried about uh, any sort of oxygen pickup, your your flaked adjuncts are going to hold on to that a lot more than any of your actual malted adjuncts. Uh, there's other ways of getting body into this beer without having to use flaked oats, flaked wheat. Uh, personally also the flaked wheat, uh, anytime you're actually going to use that in a hazy, it's a very, very large protein chain. It is going to give you haze right away, which is amazing. And then it's going to fall out in about two weeks. I would honestly stay away from flaked wheat entirely as an adjunct when it comes to any sort of hazy IPA. Uh, as for the flaked oats, um... I mean, it, it's going to give you that creamy mouthfeel, but again, if you have a process that you're worried about picking up oxygen, you can replace that with a chip malt or a spelt malt, something like that, sitting around, say, 10% of your grain bill, and you're going to end up with a similar mouthfeel, and you're not going to have to worry nearly as much about that oxygen pickup when you're doing your transfers, when you're doing your dry hopping, when you're doing your bottling. Um, also, when it comes to those larger protein grains, your wheat malts, your flaked adjuncts, Try to keep the total of your grain bill under 20%. Uh, it's going to be the same concept as that flaked wheat. If you end up with too much of that into your grain bill, there are large protein structures. They're going to give you great haze initially, but it's going to end up falling out when you crash that. Um, and sometimes, I mean, more simplistic, the better. I mean, you can make a great hazy beer uh, with literally just base malt. You don't need to go too far beyond that when it comes to your actual malt bill at you're kind of getting more to the points where you can want and try to get more of that full malt, uh, full uh, mouthfeel. So, I mean, your golden promise, your your pale lager malt's going to get you there. Um, the white wheat, I, I mean, I like that at 4%. You can probably push that to 10. Um, and then literally you can take everything else out of that and just replace it with chip malt. And it'll, it'll get you where you want to be. Uh, if you want a little bit more flavor complexity, a little bit more... A little bit more increased uh, mouthfeel. You can take maybe that 7% of that carapils, or you can take that 4% of your flaked wheat. And honestly, uh, Munich 1, fantastic bodybuilder in these beers. It'll add a little bit more malt complexity into this beer too, so...
that's kind of my two cents on it when it comes to the Granville on it. So you're telling them to take out things that that people associate with <clears throat> making a hazy beer because it's going to drop out in a couple weeks. Like, what's exactly. the key to keeping it hazy then? Um, I mean, one of the keys to keeping this beer hazy is uh, your dry hop times, your whirlpool hop times, and where, where you're actually at on your pH when you're doing these hop additions. Um, usually a pH somewhere between... 5.0 and 4.5, that's going to be your your like peak area with your pH when you're doing your dry hops or when you're doing your whirlpool hop addition to create that permanent haze. That's, that's when those enzymes actually interact the best to allow those polyphenol oils and your protein structures to actually bind and create that permanent haze structure. So that that's probably the biggest part of the process is making sure that you're actually adding your hop additions at the correct times. Um, there, there's some other things in there, too. I mean, all, all hops have different polyphenol content. It's usually an inverse relation compared to what your alpha acid's actually sitting at uh, with your hops. So if you are going to be doing a whirlpool hop addition and, and you, you want to have as much haze generated initially before you even push this beer into fermenter, if you have a beer, or uh, sorry, a hop uh, that you want to do in that addition that's sitting at a lower alpha acid, you can increase that in your whirlpool, and it should create more permanent haze because it's going to have a higher polyphenol content at that point. Got it. And if you want more information on all of the things he was speaking of, we when we went through the Janish book, a lot of that sort of stuff was uncovered. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it has more to do with polyphenol than, say, adjunct, So mm-hmm. I think is what he's saying. Very much so. I mean, all all, pro, um, all barley you're going to throw in there is going to have a protein content. Mm-hmm. I mean, your base two row sits at, what, 11.5% to 12% protein. And wow. um, those more modified grains are going to have a smaller protein structure because, I mean, it, it's modified more. It, it, there's more heat introduced into that. It's going to break down those protein chains a little bit more. Right. Uh, that's where those flaked adjuncts are going to end up being an issue because they're really not modified at all. I mean, they're gelatinized with the heat that causes with the process of actually flaking them. But you have very large protein structures, and, I mean, the bigger something is, the heavier it is. So... It's going to fall. Going to fall. Going to drop out. Got it. Yeah. I mean, we spent, what, how many centuries trying to make clear beer? So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Basically, <laughs> take, take everything you know for how to make a clear beer and then do the opposite. And then you're pretty much halfway there. <laughs> All right. All right. Should we get out of here? Yeah. All righty. Um, yeah. Sure Jason I- Paul, brewer at Hop and Barrel Spring Valley, Spring Valley, Minnesota. Uh, I got Anthony Reams over here. Hi. Bye. Bye. Are we leaving? We're, 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 we're <laughs> you hear the outro music? Uh, yep, we're leaving. <laughs> <laughs> Justin and Brian and Casey. Yep. All right. If you guys have any questions, comments, show ideas, or what have you, go ahead and shoot us an email at feedback at blindnessstudios.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash blindnessstudios or follow us on Twitter at blindnessstudios. And I'll see you guys next week. Peace.